0: everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Starting a brand new series today, we're going to walk through the book of Genesis. And there are 50 chapters. So by my current preaching pace, we'll be done about 2032, right? So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 1. It's pretty easy to find. Just go all the way to the left. And uh, we're going to start today really just going to kind of look at one verse. Got a couple we'll throw up on the screen throughout. But um, it's the story of how this all came to be. It's the story of why we're here. It's the story of humanity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. and There was light and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. I I literally could stop in the first five verses and, and we could spend multiple weeks there just unpacking some principles there. For example, life is empty and void without God's touch. It's this, or the power of when God speaks. Like he didn't use tools, he didn't use his hands, he didn't use his fingers. God simply said, and it happened. So, so many times we're waiting on God to move when really we need to be listening for God to speak. So why Genesis? Why the creation story? Why Genesis means beginnings? Quite frankly, Genesis chapter 1 is is a highly debated passage of text and and the context and the science that it represents. And and I believe that the enemy loves that. I believe Satan loves the fact and celebrates the fact that there's so many people that argue about the biblical creation story. Our modern kind of pushback, if you will, started in 1859 when a guy by the name of Charles Darwin published his theories on how we got here in, in humanity and evolution, where he questioned the biblical creation narrative in his piece called The Origins of Species. And for ages, however, thinkers have always kind of pushed against a literal six days of creation. But before we go further down that trail, because I know some of you would love for me to, to, you know, Argue that or prove that or the, the word is apologetics that. But before we go much further down that trail, I wanna look at a caution that the apostle Paul and, and church planner Paul, that he gave to some Greek Christians in the first century church. And he wrote to some Christians on the island of Crete and they were, they, they had, living in the Greek culture. The Greek culture was a poly theistic. They had a lot of gods. They had a God for everything. And so these Greeks are are learning about grace. They're learning about Jesus. They're learning about God, their creator. And Paul stopped there, planted a church there, left one of his disciples there. And he writes this letter to Titus. And so in writing to Titus, he's writing at the Christians that are uh, on the island of Crete, Titus 3.8. And and it's it's a caution to you and I today. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. If you and I are believers, we, our lives need to be devoted to a greater good than our own. Can I get an amen? These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. And then verse 9 comes the caution. He's going to speak very specifically to some things that they kind of debate and argue, but I think this same principle applies to you and I, not to get caught up, in things that can distract us from our mission. Verse nine, don't get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish law. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, like strike three, you're out. Have nothing more to do with them. So Paul was writing to one of the young men that he has discipled, one of the young men that would travel with him by the name of Titus, and that's the title of this book I just read from, is Titus. And at this time, Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete, and, and that island was the largest, most prestigious of the Greek islands, if you will. And so you take Greek culture, the, they, everything has a god They're wealthy, they're prosperous, and you infuse into this new religion of grace, the new teachings of Jesus and Christianity. And many times the Greeks had nothing better to do than to sit around and debate or argue or talk philosophy and specifically spiritual things in religion. And Paul warns Titus, don't let the church get distracted. Sure, it's good, it's fun. I love a good open-handed theological conversation. Okay, And yes, absolutely, knowledge is good. But Paul would also give another warning to another church in Corinth. And he said, be careful because knowledge puffs up. People become arrogant. So knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So don't get distracted from the original mission of the church, which is to seek and save that which is lost. So how does that apply to us in Oklahoma in 2024? Sure, some of these Genesis 1 conversations, these theological conversations, they can be fun. They can be beneficial. Just don't let it cause divisions among you, meaning don't get distracted from the original vision. Genesis chapter 1 is one of those places that that warning is very fitting, great conversations, fun conversations. Genesis chapter 1 is the foundation of our story, but don't let it distract us. Don't let it cause divisions among us. And and what Paul would say is if you can't have these conversations in love, then be careful about having those conversations. Does that make sense? So Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. There were no cameras. There were no witnesses to give sworn statements except God the Father seated on the throne. God the Son, John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word, meaning Jesus, and Jesus was God and he was with God. So Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. I think when it says that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, I think it's Jesus. It's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. So God the Father was there. He's spoken into existence. God the Son and Jesus Christ, according to John chapter one. And then God the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter one, verse two. It said, the Spirit of God hovered over the depths of the earth. There were no cameras. There were no witnesses. There were no YouTubes, right? There was no security footage. But, but, but you and I live in a day and time where we need to touch it, we need to see it, we need to feel it in order to believe it. And I would say even today you have to be careful because we live in an artificial intelligent generation. How do you know what's real? How do you know what's artificially generated? So before we we go any further into Genesis chapter one, I'm just gonna put some tension on the table. I'm just gonna tell you what I believe about some things. If If you get in social media or you get out, in the secular world, there's a lot of people that argue about some of these things and I'm just gonna tell you where I'm at. I'm just gonna tell you where we are as a church and I just wanna define some of this. Okay, you ready? You're probably gonna disagree with some of this. It's okay, you have the right to be wrong. Number one, this, I feel like number one is really, really important. The earth is round. Okay? For all of my flat earthers in here, Jesus loves you. He says, we have to love you, but the earth is round. And close your mouth when you breathe. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. Secondly, Buzz Aldrin took the pictures of the first moon landing. Okay? I thought that was funny. Like, there's this thing about who took the pictures of the moon. Buzz did. Buzz Lightyear, right? However, if the aliens that have been on display down in the Mexican legislature... They might've taken it as well. Have you seen that? There you go. I forget you guys have been fasting for 21 days from social media. (laughs) But let's be real. If an alien was to stop by, they look down at earth, you know they ain't stopping here. They gonna go somewhere else where people ain't so crazy, right? After traveling through Europe and Africa, I'm not sure I ever wanna leave Tulsa again. Let's just be real. Number three, new earth versus old earth. Old earth means the earth is billions of billions of years old. New earth means, which is probably more the biblical narrative, that it's only thousands of years of age. I'll be honest with you, I'm a new earth-ish guy. I just am. I don't believe the earth to be billions and billions and billions of years old. And by the way, there's a long list of Christian scientists believe the earth is a new earth. But what Paul would say, have those conversations in love. Don't fight about it. Don't get distracted from the vision and the mission of seeking and saving that which is lost. Don't let these conversations take away from loving God and loving people. Amen, everybody. So why talk about Genesis number one? A couple of things. Number one, it's the foundation of our story. Genesis forms the foundation for the rest of the Bible. It's the opening scene, if you will, to the story that's going to unfold throughout the Word of God and really throughout history. The Genesis creation narrative, the story of Adam and Eve, it's the story that explains that we have sin. It's the story that explains death and disease and pain and suffering. It is the foundation of history. Through Genesis chapter 1, we learn that man is created in the image of God. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have his nose. Oh, you got your daddy's smile. But that's not necessarily what it means. It means we have characteristics like God has. A couple of weeks ago, I I talked about this, of being image bearers of Christ. We are created in his image. And that means in a moral, spiritual, intellectual sense. This is what makes us different than your pets. This is what makes us different from all other creation, is that we can think, we can understand, we're self-aware, we can problem solve, we have morals and values and belief. And I know your dog is really smart and they can speak and they can roll over and let you scratch their belly, I, I get all that, but they do not have mental and more importantly, spiritual capacities that humanity has. Man is created in the image of Christ, and we are to be image bearers of Christ. And man has fallen, okay? We broke the deal. We disobeyed. And there are painful, spiritual, earthly, eternal consequences that come from our fallen state. So the Genesis 1, the biblical narrative of creation, it is the foundation of our story it's the foundation of the world's three largest religions first and foremost judaism i mean genesis is the story of abraham isaac and jacob it's the jewish religion it has its beginnings in genesis but then christianity comes out of judaism jesus was born into a jewish family jesus came to fulfill the jewish law but lastly islam traces its roots back to Genesis. And I'm not promoting Islam. I'm just telling you that a Muslim, true Muslims, will believe the biblical creative story about, in the beginning, God created. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, they form the foundation for the rest of the Bible. But not only the foundation, secondly, it is found throughout our story. In the beginning, God created is found throughout the Bible. Creation is just mentioned over and over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's just, just a few handful of ex- examples. Exodus 20, 11, For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus was being questioned about divorce and marriage. Verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. John chapter 1, I referenced earlier, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. Romans 1 talks about creation, very evidence of God and His qualities. Psalm 19 goes on and on about creation throughout the Old and New Testament. We find reference after reference after reference up to Genesis chapter 1 and the in the beginning God created biblical narrative meaning the Bible would be incomplete. Matter of fact, the Bible probably wouldn't even make sense if we don't have the story of creation in the book of Genesis. So Genesis 1, 2, and 3 set the stage for the entire story of humanity. The fall of man and the redemption of man and the beginning of redemption that would ultimately come through the Messiah in Jesus Christ that the other 65 books in the Bible will tell. So obviously... Obviously, the enemy wants to chip away at the legitimacy of in the beginning God created. That's why the enemy wants to push this evolution narrative. That's why the enemy wants you to doubt in the beginning that God created. He wants you to to question the legitimacy and integrity of Genesis chapter 1. Seriously, you're trying to tell me this whole universe was just created in six days. Who can do that? Well, my God, that's who can do that. You want me to believe that the earth is only thousands of years old, not billions of years old? So the enemy works so hard to discredit the beginning of the story. Because if the opening sentence of the Bible is not true, how can you trust the rest of it? If in the beginning God created is not true, then how can I trust John 3.16? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son. If Genesis 1:1 is not true, how can I trust Ephesians 2:5 that even though you were dead because of your sin, Christ gave his life when he or he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead? It's not only by God's grace that you've been saved. If Genesis 1:1 is not true, then that's not true. There's this divide. You can't be a Christian and a scientist. And my friends, that's just not true. There's incredible Christian scientists. That prove on the daily the very existence of God. So here's the biblical story, the biblical narrative of creation. In the beginning, God created, and He created man in His image. Here's the secular narrative of creation: that billions of years ago, an amoeba grew legs, just like Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. You grew legs, Lieutenant Dan. I don't know about you, probably because Jesus has always been a part of my life, but it is much easier for me to believe that a higher power created me than I came from some amoeba. So, maybe a little bit disappointing, but I'm not necessarily going to jump all into the science of creation in Genesis chapter 1, because I think there's bigger lessons formed from creation. Genesis chapter 1 is going to give some very practical insights. How we should order our lives. I'm just, just, just gonna look at Genesis 1 1. You probably have it memorized. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's lessons to, because God created order, structure, governance, and purpose in just that one statement. So here we go the three lessons from creation that everything is built upon. Number one, God created time. In the beginning, God created time. So this is where old earth and new earth are kind of fun to talk about and kind of of fun to research on, but this is where it really doesn't matter. It's where it really collides is because God was there before either one, before there ever was. Before there was ever time, God existed. In the beginning, God created time. As Genesis chapter 1 continues, you're gonna see the formation of the sun and the moon and the stars. You're gonna see the earth begin to revolve around the sun. You're gonna begin to see days and weeks and years and seasons. In the beginning was the creation of time and seasons, and you and I are put in that creation. You and I have been given our stop on the timeline of history. This is what Paul says about that. For we are God's masterpiece. He created you anew in Christ Jesus. When you gave your life to Christ, he made you a new person. The old things are gone. Behold, the new has come. Can I get an amen? So that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Like, God was not surprised when you came along. Before he said, let there be light, he knew that you were going to be. He wasn't like, oh, Lord, didn't see that one coming. No, he knew you were coming. He had a purpose for you, a plan for you, a destiny, and good things for you to do with the breath, the life, and the time that you've been given in your life. And imagine me talking that fast in Africa. It didn't go well. What are you doing with the time God has gifted you? I made my first trip to Kenya nine years ago in 2015. To be honest with you, it was a little bit easier back then because 50 is approaching like a wrecking ball. I'm just telling you, right? And on this trip, it, it was a really, like you can't get there from here. I'll just be honest with you. I was reminded of my growing limitations. Things hurt longer. Hounds tend to stay around longer, right? But naps feel better. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Sunsets have more color, and hugs just have more meaning. As I am aging, I have a goal. I just want to be better at 50 than I was at 40, wiser, more spiritual, in shape. But that won't just happen. It won't just happen playing on your phone. It won't just happen through procrastination. It won't just happen by blaming someone else. It won't just happen by making excuses. It won't happen by being too busy that you have no control over anything. I want to be better at 50 than I was at 40, but it won't happen if I don't have margin. It won't happen if I don't find the right pace of living. In the beginning, God created time and he gave you and I the gift of time. What are we doing with that gift? And if I'm going to be better today than what I was yesterday, I have to be intentional. What do I need to do to be better? What do I need to do To be more godly? What do I need to do to be more prepared for the things that God has for me, for a better version of me that is coming? What do I need to say no to so that I can say a greater yes to the things of God? So that I can say a greater yes to my wife, to my family, to my purpose, to my calling, to my church? God was very intentional in his order of creation. He made plants before he made the animals. So that when he did make the animals, they would have food to eat. He was very intentional with his order. On day three, he created the land and vegetation. On day five, he created the animals. What if he got that backwards? If on day three, he created the animals, but there was no land for them to be on. I want to be better today than I was 10 years ago. So I have to be intentional and I have to be faithful. Sometimes just showing up is the most spiritual thing you can do. Aren't you glad it's a new year? Amen, everybody. New year, new me. New year, new us. I saw something posted on social media the other day. I said, Whew, January was a rough year. That's <laughs> kind of right. Every December, we start proclaiming just the hope of a new year. Every January, man, we... Well, the young people stay up till midnight and celebrate the new year, right? We're just so glad to turn the page. Oh, man, I'm glad to have that year over with. And I'm so excited about the new year, the new start, the new horizons. And by the time December of this year gets here, we're going to be ready for another new year. Oh, I'm so glad this one's over. You know, I have never, in all my years, I don't ever remember somebody going, oh, man, it's December already? This year's been so great. Like, we just don't. By the time we're to December, we are just dragging across the finish line and going, Lord, would you give us a new year? This year's gonna have its ups and downs. This year's gonna have its challenges. It is an election year, y'all. It's gonna have its moments, but we need to embrace this rhythm of life. Number one, there's gonna be good days. And good days are a gift from God. Amen, everybody? Good days will let you rest from stress and heaviness and worry. Good days will let you be more effective. Here's an old cowboy saying, you got to make hay when the sun is shining. Okay, On the good days, you can just be more productive. But the bad days, you know what? The bad days make you grateful for good days. The bad days make you stronger. The bad days make you smarter. Wise up a little bit. And we need to get to this place, too, that we recognize bad days are also a gift from God. I think it's just part of our human nature. When we go through a crisis, when we go through a bad day, when we go through a trial, it just pulls us back to God. it it, it just that's the story of of the book of judges the children of israel would go through a good time they'd have a good leader they would have a prosperous time and they would get comfortable and they didn't necessarily need the things of god and they would compromise in some areas and then the next thing you know the wheels would just fall off and they would find themselves in a bad season they'd begin to cry out to god but that's not necessarily the old testament story that's our story we go through good times, got money in the bank, take a lot of vacations, don't necessarily need God, and all of a sudden the wheels fall off and we come back to God and, and we fast and we pray in the middle of our crisis. We start going back to church because life got a little bit hard. We, we intentionally seek out spiritual people. Hey, will you pray for me? I'm going through a rough time. And God miraculously gives us the strength to get through that difficult time. Can I get an amen? Sometimes God even answers the very prayer request That we're praying. And then life gets smooth again. And the spouse starts to like me a little bit. And the dog don't bite me every time he sees me. And all of a sudden life goes, and all of a sudden I don't need God so much. And so I slip out of those habits and I kind of get a little bit spiritually lazy. And I, I just don't need him. And then all of a sudden the wheels fall off and another crisis comes along. And I go right back to God. How about this be the year we remain faithful? How about this be the year that we stay committed through the good seasons and worship our way through the bad seasons? God created time. What are you doing with the gift of time that He's given us? In the beginning, God created the heavens. Secondly, I want you to see that God created space. It was wide, it was vast, it was deep. This right here is talking about, it's representing the heavens. And the separation of the heavens from the earth, it's the space that we look up into. It's the air that airplanes fly through. God said, let there be space. And an explosion brought clarity and definition to the openness of the universe. Our lives kind of feel vast and wide and deep and open. Our pace of life sometimes feels Wide open and it and it lacks the sense of clarity because it just feels vast. And sometimes we're just going for the sake of going, or sometimes we're just doing for the sake of doing. And at the end of the day, we're tired, we're a little bit empty, we're a lot frustrated, and there's just this nagging question: what is this all for? God wants to speak clarity into our life. But you and I have to say, Let there be space this idea of margin. I had my grandfather's Bible and every morning I had my cup of coffee, and go there to my seat and I, and I grab his, it's a big NI, uh, New Living Study Bible and I open it up and, and as I'm reading, I love to read his handwriting. And he had lots of little notes that he had just on paper that he had stuck in throughout the Bible, but, but sometimes he would write in the margin. The margin's the white space at the top and on the sides and at the bottom, of a page. And sometimes even between chapters, there'll be some white space. The margin in the white space, it's what lets the story that's on the pages, it's what let it breathes a little bit. We need margin in our life. We need paragraphs. We need periods. We need commas. We need pause and reset and space. And, and we just need to let our story breathe sometimes. Amen? We need white space for our relationships. We need white space for our priorities. We need white space to dream. I don't dream when I'm just stuck going and going and going and going and going, when I'm tired and busy. I'm just trying to keep up and I stop dreaming. We need white space to worship. That's why we'll say God's number one priority in our life, but the reality is he's the first one to get bumped when life gets busy. We're so tired from the life that happens Monday through Saturday that we'll skip church on Sunday just to recover from the rest of the week. I'll I'll pray later. I'll read my Bible later. I'll go to church later. When God was bringing order to the void and the emptiness, he said, let there be heavens. Let there be space. And you and I need to say, let there be margin in our life. God himself practiced this principle. He worked for six and on the seventh day he rested. It's where the Old Testament Jewish uh, custom was the day of the Sabbath. It was a day that was set aside for worship where we recenter our life on Jesus. We come together with the body of Christ. Something powerful happens when God's people come together and worship and pray and sing together. Because quite frankly, Monday through Saturday can get a little bit off center. And then it's a day of rest. A Sunday afternoon is a spiritual exercise. Come on, somebody say amen. For some of you, the idea of rest would be the best spiritual decision that you could make. And it's not just about taking a nap. It's about saying no to the wrong things that clutter our life and saying yes to the right things. Everybody repeat after me. I love you, Brent. Like, first service didn't even fall for that. They're like, I, um, I love sports. I love sports. In the fall, my life's too busy because of sports. I, lo- I love sports. But Jesus needs to come first. Amen, everybody? I love fun weekends. I love fun weekends with the family and fun weekends with the friends. And there is a time and place to have fun and a time and a place to retreat, but worship first. I love you. You said you love me. Stay at home parents will not raise go to church kids. Parents that allow God to be compromised by sports and busy schedules will raise kids that don't even consider God in their schedule. Your physical body can only handle so much. And when it's had enough, it's going to crash and burn. Your marriage can only handle so much. Relationships in your life can only, your finances can only handle so much. And if we approach this pace of life with more, 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 it's going to impact your marriage, it's going to impact your kids, it's going to impact your finances, and most importantly, it's going to impact your relationship with God. God said in the beginning, let be the heavens, let there be space. And then he said, God created the earth. Number three, God created matter. God created the solid stuff, the earth, the dirt, right? On day three, we'll eventually see land and we'll eventually see vegetation, matter. Things that are firm, things that you can stand upon, things that you can build upon, the foundation. This is a great time to ask yourself, What is my life built upon? What is the foundation for how I live? Is it built upon what your daddy taught you? That can be a great thing. If your daddy loved Jesus and your daddy was a godly man and your daddy built his life upon Jesus, that can be a great thing. But it can also be a bad thing if your daddy was a pagan, if your daddy was a mean old goat, if your daddy was not a godly man. What is the foundation of your life built upon? Jesus would say it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. I want to be wise. Like a person who builds his house on a solid rock upon matter. Though the rains came in torrents and flood wise and the wind beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built upon bedrock. Listen, God's ways work every time. Is your life built on the foundation of the things of God? Sometimes I'm guilty of doing things my way and then sprinkling just enough Jesus in on top to help me justify myself, to help me just sleep a little bit better at night, help me feel a little bit better about myself. Acts 17, verse 28 says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of our poets have said, we are His children. What is the foundation of your life? And if you can justify your disobedience with, well, nobody's perfect. If you can justify your selfishness, well, God wants me to be happy. If you can justify doing it your way, well, God understands I have to, right? You might be sprinkling just enough Jesus on your own selfish ambition to help you feel better about yourself. But I'm telling you, when the storm hits, it's gonna turn, it's gonna wash the house down. Your house is gonna wash away. It was not built on a matter, it was not built on solid foundation, it was built on selfish ambition. Build your house, build your life on the things of God, on things that matter. Can I get an amen? I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.